0: You are listening to Changing Careers, a podcast about how MBA careers are changing and how MBAs change their careers. I am Conrad Chua. There's a lot of attention on the negative impact that tourism can have on environments and communities. Today's guest is trying to change that narrative through his social venture. Paul Herbertson has spent most of his career in the conservation sector, working with a large not-for-profit and more recently, starting his own social venture called Wild Philanthropy. The venture counts ultra-high net worth individuals as the client base. Paul hopes that these individuals will get interested in supporting conservation efforts after their travels. Paul will talk more about Wild Philanthropy and how he has used his MBA learning in a field that does not have that many MBAs to begin with. As always, first I asked Paul to introduce himself.
1: Um, so my name is Paul Herbertson. I am the CEO of of Ois Philanthropy, which is um, part of a group of of organisations that are trying to demonstrate how tourism can benefit local people and communities in in South and Eastern Africa. Um, we work alongside um, a a luxury uh, safari travel operator um, called Journeys by Design, and we also operate a an impact investment vehicle which supports development of of um, socially led tourism businesses in Eastern Southern Africa. Um, the model is, is designed to try and uh, use all of the different elements um, of those businesses to do that ultimate aim of, of demonstrating how uh, local people and wildlife and wildernesses can benefit better from, from tourism.
0: We'll come back to wild philanthropy uh, a bit later, but Paul, can you talk us through what you did after you graduated with an MBA?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, I was on the 2009-10 uh, cohort. Um I had taken a sabbatical from Fauna and Flora International which is a wildlife conservation organisation that I'd been working for for a number of years um, and uh, came into the MBA with a, a clear objective of, of wanting to get a much better understanding of business um, and as broad an understanding as I could across the, the sort of business sector a lot of the work I've been doing in the conservation world had been focused on businesses particularly looking at how to work alongside businesses to limit their impacts Um, and I was increasingly getting interested in how you could look at at sort of flipping the business models to rather than look at minimizing impacts look at, at sort of developing positive impacts from from business and so the MBA was really a sort of a year out from my my job to to think through that to learn a lot um and to to really be able to um, test some of the ideas that I'd had. Um, and I actually went back to, to FFI after the MBA um, and uh, ran a program there called uh, Conservation Finance and Enterprise Program, which was designed to do exactly that. It was designed to look at ways that um, you could tackle the, the challenges that the conservation world are, are facing through, um, through business approaches, through market models. Um, and through uh, a sort of innovative approaches to to conservation that were moving away from more traditional philanthropy and moving away from a donor based model to uh, looking at, uh, at at sort of revenue generation and, and opportunities for monetizing certain uh, approaches that conservation organisations often take. Um, so I, I went back and 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 spent a, a good time doing that. Actually, another sort of eight eight years or so um with, with FFI building that program and developing um uh, the team and, and working on that. Um, and although thoroughly enjoyed my time, it's a wonderful organization. Um, it's a relatively large conservation organization um, and has a whole range of different areas of work that it it focuses on. Um, so its risk tolerance for for some of these more innovative models um wasn't quite the level that I, I I'd hoped. Um, so was quite keen to to move into a sort of more entrepreneurial uh, opportunity to um, really test some of these 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 innovative models in in the real life scenarios, um, and that was was what I was allowed to to do when I moved across to Wild Philanthropy, um, which was was two years ago now. Um, the, as I moved across to to Wild Philanthropy, it was it was sort of more of an idea than a than a, an operating uh, model at the time. Um, it had been uh, sort of being developed for for quite a few years. Um, but had uh not got the structure or or the the sort of expertise in house to be able to to think through um a more sensible or more um structured approach to to the the wide ranging uh, objectives that that the team were trying to to deliver um as i mentioned there are two other parts to the 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 group of businesses um that uh were really sort of creating a uh, uh, a sort of tension between these different organizations, so part of what I was doing to come in was was look at the structure, understand the different drivers, uh, and try and uh, establish a uh, a more uh, sort of mutually beneficial model that that saw all of these different elements um, working together to achieve the same goal um, and seeing how that could be structured so that 's what i've been been doing the
0: the conservation sector doesn 't have many MBAs, I think I think that's fair to say, so when you returned to flora and fauna, how did they regard you? You're you, you, this person who left a year ago, came back with this freshly minted MBA, brimming with ideas, etc. so how, how did that culture uh, reintroduction work?
1: So I was actually really amazed at how um, welcoming and how interested people were um, fFI is, is is based down the road, so I kept in touch with people um whilst I was on the course um and uh in fact the 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 initial idea around coming to the MBA came from my, my my boss at the time who who just looked at it and suggested this might be something I, I want to think about and she had seen that there was a real need for these sorts of skills and experiences in growing companies or or, or organizations um so on the whole it was really well received and um the the, the sort of future led to actually an, another person from my team coming on the MBA a few a few years later she 's now actually taken on on my my old role and as director of that program um and since then a, another person also has done the mba so there's actually three three people at fFI all with with the Cambridge nBA under their belt so um i think it it's safe to say that it was something that was really well thought of within the organization um it brought a different perspective to um the, the the sort of challenges a conservation organization has on the day-to-day not just on the sort of thematic area that i was focusing on but but more generally across the organization around how how to sort of think about business planning how to think about the the, the way that the organization is functioning how to think about working with partners the strategizing um and the longer term planning which are all really really important skills and and, and experiences and things that um, i was really able to add a different perspective to than than i'd had previous to my career whilst doing the mba
0: you mentioned about all the things that you applied that you learned on the mba and that you applied in ffi while philanthropy was obviously when you joined was in a very different state was nowhere as big nowhere as established did you find that what you learned on the mba was useful at all when applied to wild philanthropy
1: even more useful actually um and i um when I sort of moved across to Wild Philanthropy, um, the 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 aim of what I was looking or what I was being asked to do actually morphed quite a lot quite quickly within the first few months of working there. Initially, it was coming in to sort of look purely at the, the the Wild Philanthropy side of things and the social enterprise side of things, but quite rapidly I actually got brought more into the the the, the journeys by design, the more traditional business, um, and helping with some of the business planning of that business, which was growing at the same time. So. Um, the, the MBA, I think, really allowed me to straddle between my, my past experience in, in a sort of more conservation NGO context and a, a sort of small business uh, context of a, of a company like Journeys by Design um, and bring skills that they they didn't necessarily have as quite a small uh, small business but uh, a, a high performing business, um, but one that didn't necessarily have some of the, the, the business planning and, and financial uh, capabilities to develop proper management accounts and to really analyse some of the the financial side of things, which is one of the things that I, somewhat surprisingly, really enjoyed from from the MBA was some of the, the the sort of management accounting side of things and and getting better tools to to start thinking practically about how how to assess the the, the performance of a business from a financial perspective. Again, something that isn't traditionally um thought of within the the conservation or the n g o perspective where um the the entire financial model of those sorts of organizations is very different, and there isn't the the same scrutiny over um the the sort of revenue stream side of things it's a a sort of donor based model where you're developing grants and and delivering on those, and there's a lot of scrutiny over the way that funding is used. There isn't as as much scrutiny over sort of performance in in terms of of the financial performance of those organizations that you need in a a smaller business, particularly.
0: If we turn our attention to wild philanthropy, what are the kind of clientele or the client customer group that you are targeting and how do you work with them?
1: we're really lucky to have a a, a sort of ready made uh, client base in terms of the the journeys by design clients so these are people that are traveling to africa they're of a certain income bracket which means that they are um going to have the the financial capabilities to to be relatively philanthropic um and we work very closely with those clients as they're traveling and while they're, they're sort of out in africa um they are as i as i mentioned earlier they are all um of a of a quite high income bracket um high net worth if not ultra high net worth um and have often traveled quite quite extensively so are quite knowledgeable um they're often very passionate about the conservation side of things they may have their own foundations but their foundations tend to be more domestically focused um although uh, we are u k based uh a majority of clients um from the Journeys by design and WAR philanthropy side are based in the u s so about sixty sixty percent are u s based um and uh they are um all very keen to uh, have that more um philanthropic tradition that that you see in in the u s in terms of of giving that's much more related to sort of tax tax elements so um yeah it's a it's a very interesting uh group of people um we have focused in on a, a small group that we call friends of Wild philanthropy who are the, the the sort of most informed or the most interested in the conservation and community development issues um, they will uh be provided a range of different sort of special access opportunities so if they're traveling in africa we will arrange for them to do um things that we wouldn't arrange for traditional journeys by design clients so they may come and have dinner with a researcher. Who, who, who's focusing on online research in Tanzania, um, or they might um, go and visit a, a particular um, community development project that, that Wild Philanthropy has been supporting um, and, and helping finance. Um, so it's really trying to, to help them get a little bit more of an understanding around the, the conservation and community development with the hope that it might encourage them to, to, to support those projects as well. Um, we introduce them directly to those projects they can fund those projects directly if they want to. We don't. We don't sort of force them to to, to fund through Wild Philanthropy. And the advantages they have of, of funding through Wild Philanthropy is we're registered in the US, so they are able to get the tax advantages there. And many of the small organisations in Africa that we work with won't have been able to go through the the IRS process of becoming 501c3. So um, we act as a, as, a, as a sort of conduit and a, a sort of guarantor of, of that to help support some of those smaller organisations, which we think are, are often the, the most impactful. Um, they don't necessarily have big fundraising teams and, and they aren't always able to, to raise the sorts of funding that they need, but they're actually out day-to-day doing, doing the graft and the hard work on the ground of, of trying to protect these areas and support the local communities.
0: Can you give a few examples of the type of projects that Wild Philanthropy or, or friends of Wild Philanthropy have supported?
1: Sure. So one of our, our sort of flagship projects is um, a community farm in, in the Omo Valley of, uh, of Ethiopia, which is in the south of Ethiopia, extremely marginalized area. Um, the communities, uh, uh, a lot of them live along the rivers, they, they, they practice flood retreat uh agriculture where uh, as the river floods it brings a lot of alluvial soil up onto the the banks and it makes it very fertile for growing the crops um historically um that that has been a, a very effective way for thousands and thousands of years um over the last sort of decade or so um there's been a series of of, of dams developed in, in these rivers uh hydroelectric dams um which are fantastic in, in generating uh, uh, renewable energy for, for Addis and, and other cities, but have really impacted the flood regime, which has led to a real challenge for those local communities of irrigating land. So one of the projects that we, we run in, in, in Ethiopia, in that Omo Valley area, is a, an irrigation project, which is um, essentially set up to irrigate an area of, of land, um, allowing the local communities to grow subsistence crops for themselves. Um, but also to grow um, crops, cash crops that they can sell um, to tourism operators. So we have a, a camp in that, that area as well. So they're able to grow the crops, sell them to the camp and get cash as well as the, the sort of subsistence side, side of things. Um, so that's one of those projects. We also have a range of partner organisations um, that we work with to develop uh, or to deliver the, the conservation work on the ground. We don't do much implementation ourselves. Um, those partners range from... Um a uh, a uh, uh, a really interesting organization in Botswana called EcoExist who focus on um human elephant conflict. So the challenges you you get in, in, in areas where there's high high densities of 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 elephants um but there's also people living in those areas who are farming and obviously you get a hungry elephant and it's gonna gonna sort of move towards those crop areas and and create conflict that um needs to be managed so they work a lot on trying to support local communities with um, ways of deterring elephants but also to sort of try and help them understand some of the the economic value that those those elephants bring in terms of tourism. So ensuring that the benefits of, of the tourists uh, coming to see those elephants is recognised by local communities and creating that what they call an elephant economy. Um, so yeah, we have uh, about sort of 20, 25 different partners, um, most of which are, are sort of smaller, locally-led organisations. We do a, a few larger organisations as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we really try to, um, pick those organizations as as ones that we believe are going to be able to to really deliver the highest impact, and we build up long term relationships with them. Um, we try not to tie the organizations down to um a a sort of very firm and fixed um, grant agreement we We want them to be able to use the funds often for things that conservation organizations really struggle to finance um, which are basic operating costs. Um, it's much easier to raise money for a particular project um to be working with communities it's much harder to, to raise money for a, a marketing campaign or to uh sort of pay for the back office staff and, and all of the, the, the things that actually a good functioning organization needs to be able to do um so we're quite often supporting that element of it um and then ensuring that other other funds from individuals will go into those projects on the ground so
0: so there's been a lot of about the impact of mass tourism on a lot of these communities. And you're focusing on a very uh, high net worth, ultra high net worth clientele. Do you, do you feel that that, in a way, is kind of that approach is sort of elitist or exclusionary for the vast majority of people who uh, may not have that opportunity to go and see wildlife in Africa, for example?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. Um, and, and it is. Uh the reality of of the model that we've developed is is one of of low volume, high value uh, tourism, which we believe does have a place. It shouldn't be the only type of tourism, but um, in areas that are more remote, in areas that are harder to get to, um, actually the idea of of, of creating um, more transport routes and 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 sort of shipping in more and more people. There's a there's a real risk of, of of opening up those areas and a lot of as you mentioned a lot of press around um, sort of mass tourism and the impacts it can have. So actually, um, because of the sensitivity of a lot of the sites that we go to, we feel that this is a, a natural inhibiting factor um, that, that that does mean that it, it needs to retain as as low volume, um, but high value. Uh, the the ability to ensure that the local communities are getting fair value is also based on that model because um if we were um looking at opening up an area to mass tourism obviously lots of people coming through spending a bit of money is is great if we can actually just have a few people coming through um but it's a similar uh, actual value of those trips then the community are are getting the same same benefits um but without a lot of the negative impacts um that that, that you can see from and more mass tourism models um so yeah although understand the the criticisms if it was the only type of tourism then um uh it would be be more of an issue but for particularly the sorts of of trips that we're we're running um yeah we feel it's actually a, a quite a healthy way of 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 ensuring that some of these more wilderness areas aren't um aren't degraded any further
0: While Philanthropy spent some time uh, at Cambridge Judge Business School in the incubator here, what did you learn or what support did you get that maybe you didn't pick up when you were doing an MBA?
1: So actually the the social incubator has been pretty revolutionary for us. I applied to it quite soon on after joining While Philanthropy because I thought it would be really helpful for us to get some some really good technical uh, advice, particularly around the legal structuring of what we were trying to do. Um, and the real value we've, we've got from that that social incubator was, um, was the skills and experiences around how to legally structure a social enterprise, how to work on the articles of association to bring in mission locks, to bring in asset locks, to bring in different ways to ensure that those businesses um, those social enterprises are delivering a social benefit, um, and
0: what's a mission lock or an asset lock?
1: Um, so, a mission lock or an asset lock is is a way uh, within the articles of association of ensuring that um, a company uh, or a social enterprise is 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 going to to keep uh, its mission uh, beyond a traditional company's mission, which is essentially creating shareholder value. Um, so it's a way of looking at the 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 interaction between um, a business and its shareholders um, and saying shareholders aren't the the only uh, the only thing this business needs to think about uh, generally a, a director of a company has to to uh, all its decisions need to be in the interest of its shareholders. What we're starting to do through the 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 changing of our articles of association is to bring stakeholders into the, the the business uh, decision-making much more effectively. So actually, as a director, um, I have a responsibility to the stakeholders as well as the shareholders. So when I make a decision as the legal director of the, of the, of the company, um, I need to be thinking about the, the stakeholders in Africa as well as the shareholders. Um, it's something that's becoming slightly more mainstream as well. We've seen a lot in the US around the, um, the, the Roundtable and Sustainable Business, which is uh, JP Morgan and, and various others. Have been looking at this um, role of stakeholders alongside shareholders. Um, the, the way that we've done it is slightly beyond that in terms of we've got a very clear um, mission of that social enterprise in terms of really wanting to um, get a, a clear um, impact from, from what the business is doing. Um, it's meant to be profitable, but it's meant to achieve social and environmental impact, positive impact as well. And locking that into the social. Into the articles association means that should, and we're not saying this is going to happen, but should we, we sell that business, um, there are ways that we can ensure that those articles are retained um, in the future. So the legacy of the, the social business is retained.
0: So you were talking about how the uh, incubator here at Judge Business School helped you with the, understanding these legal issues about setting up uh, a social enterprise. I think you were going to talk about some other stuff as well before i interrupted
1: no no i think that's um i think it's very yeah it's very uh, very apt point around the the value that that social incubator um provided us um and as i say I, when i when i did the MBA, um the uh center for social innovation wasn't wasn't around yet we had a what was called at the time the beyond profit sig so there wasn't the social innovation sig there was the sort of starting of it, and there was a lot of interest around it, but there wasn't the technical expertise that I think there now is within the business school. Um, so it was really a chance for me to to plug back into the business school, um, the the skills in the 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 centre for social innovation, and and really bring in some of that experience in developing these things because it is still um, quite a, a an innovative area, and there's there's been a lot of work over the past years on on these sorts of things, but. It's still not mainstream, um, so finding the right people and the right expertise to help with developing things were was absolutely key um, and as I said, when I came into uh, wild philanthropy, there was a lot of things happening, but there wasn't any structure, so having the ability to overlay my own day to day operations with some some very sort of high level experience technical advice on. Well, have you thought about how your articles association were? That was a, a sort of new area for me. It's not; it wasn't where my experiences have been on terms of the, the sort of legal structuring of a social enterprise. But it it made a very big difference to us.
0: Finally, Paul, how can people find out more about you and Wild Philanthropy?
1: Sure. So um, our, our website is, is wildphilanthropy dot com. Um, that will explain a little bit about uh who we are and what we do um the travel company is journeys by design which is journeysbydesign.com. um there's various links between the two on, on both those websites so if you go to one you should be able to relatively easily find find the other um we also happen to, to run a coffee shop in in brighton in our in our office so if you're ever in brighton and, and fancy a very nice coffee um come to africa house <laughs>
0: That was Paul Herbertson talking about conservation and the social venture Wild Philanthropy. I hope today's conversation has made it clear that running a social venture is by no means easier than running a for-profit organisation. And if you are in a social venture or a not-for-profit, I hope you'll also consider how an MBA or a business education could help you in your field. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, subscribe if you've not done so. If you've already subscribed, thank you so much. Just one favour, share this with someone you know who would benefit from listening. You can also leave a rating and review. It helps others discover the show. Till next time, this is Conrad Chua on Changing Careers.